following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. This passage, again, <laughs> has, um, you know, I, I, I honestly feel like my heart and head is overwhelmed with, with all of the content that is here and all of the, 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 the new understanding and inspiration and, and, and really, like, I think so often when we look at Scripture um, in a superficial way, we miss, like, the heart of God, the, the, the true inspiration and intention that God has uh, for 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 these moments that we can like we're going to be looking at Jesus cleansing the temple um and and as i titled this message back on thursday you know i you know that really seems to be kind of what the passage is really about Jesus cleansing the temple but as i've come to the conclusion of preparation and and you know really this title title this message is really God's Christ's passion for purity like he has this this passion for our purity for for our cleansing for our healing that you know and and if you look at the the the, the total biblical narrative we understand that it it was God's passionate pursuit at his own cost and 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 to to be with us whether it was in the garden or through the tabernacle to, 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 to go through extensive means in order to be that his presence would abide with us or through the temple. And now we see through the temple of Christ's body, right, that he ultimately sought to not just be beside us, but inside us. And as we talked about this morning, you know, Rob said, like, can we take in for just a moment that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. Lives in us, right? Like this, this is what God accomplished in Christ, that he, he, he cleansed our temple. He cleansed us and purified us so that he might be with us. That he, as it will read later, like in John 14, so that he would make us his home, that, that the, the triune God, the Trinity, would make their presence through his spirit in us so that he would demonstrate his life, his purpose, his, his power, and his presence through us. That we would be this, this, uh, this, this shining you know, agent, ambassador of grace and truth and love and liberty, freedom, that, that God has purchased for us in Jesus. So let me read this, this text. And again, if we don't ask the text, you know, what, why, where, how, when, if we don't ask these questions, we end up with a superficial understanding and we will continue to, 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 to miss the, 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 the wonder and the power and the truth um, and, and God's heart even uh, and what he's doing in this moment. So um, I'll read the text. John 19, excuse me, Luke 19, 45 through 48, and it goes like this. And he entered the temple. We know the chronology helps us, especially in the Gospel of Mark, the next morning, right? He entered the temple the next morning and began to drive out those who sold. 
saying to them, it is written, my house, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, daily in the temple, but after this, then the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, speaking of Jesus, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. So a lot of times this, this portion of Jesus's life and ministry gets kind of tagged as, you know, righteous indignation. Like we see, we see God getting mad and, uh, and, and sadly enough, could use that as a justifying uh, reason to get mad uh, about things. Um, and, and, and surely we know that God does get angry. That, this, this isn't the first, I mean, we see Sinai, right? Like we see moments in the Old Testament that, that God, God that we're made in his image and he has emotion, right? But, but why is Jesus so zealous here? so invigorated with passion in this moment. And, and just to kind of unpack that quickly and leave that aside is remember we're called, yeah, be angry but sin not, right? Let your own, you know, do not let the sun set on your anger. Man's anger bring, doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires, we're told in James right? And, and God, God's anger only lasts a moment, right? So God has this, this ability to be anger, angry and righteousness. Often our anger is, is, is not righteous, but there's opportunity here, and we'll talk some more about this, that if we can completely share God's anger about something, then, but it shouldn't move us to sin. It should move us to justice. It should move us to righteousness. And, uh, and, and so the question is, how is what Jesus does here an act of righteousness and holiness? Why is he so, why is he so righteously angry? Why, why is he so upset that he clears the temple? Now, let's, Let's understand too, because uh, you know, I, I'm sure many might, some might not know, this is the second time that Jesus clears the temple. If we go back to the beginning of his ministry, only months, I mean, Cana is, is just in the rearview mirror at the wedding of Cana, and now he's coming to Passover early in his ministry. This would have been AD 27, most believe right? And he's coming to, and it's the precipice of Passover. And what's the feast that follows Passover? What's the feast that follows Passover? Feast of unleavened bread, right? Okay. And this is one of the three big, there's seven feasts. This is three of the the biggest feasts. In fact, this is the feast that started all feasts. This was the the one that God initiated uh, as he delivered the people from Egypt. Passover uh, was a a day, and then the the feast that followed that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And and this is one of the big three, including the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles and the Feast of Weeks, that, that all men were required to be in Jerusalem. So you can imagine there's a, there's a large crowd. There's a lot of people. And what we have to understand that this is on the precipice of, 
of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that will come to bear in significant ways here in just a moment. But when he first clears the temple, it is, it's almost exactly to the day, three years before this point. Three years later, and just on the precipice of, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and Passover, Jesus goes in and he clears the temple, right? So why is he doing that? And why is he doing it then? And, and, and you think it's a coincidence that it happens twice at the beginning and the end of his ministry? I mean, these are the kind of questions we should ask. And why would he do it twice? And what's, what's going on here? What, what's making him so upset? And so where is this transpiring? And what we find when we look into this is where this whole thing is going on is in the, the courts outside of the temple proper. So you've got the Holy of Holies. You got the, and so you've got a place where Jews can only reside. And then you've got these courts that are outside of that called the courts of the Gentiles. And this is where the priests have set up a marketplace, right? I call it a bizarre bazaar, right? Like it is a flea market uh, of, of spiritual wares. And it's really the priests, this is their side hustle. And, it's, and the, the sad thing is, is it is absolutely appalling to God because of what they're doing referred to as thieves or robbers in this case. So that's a, that's a backdrop on why, you know, Jesus is so zealous for the temple, and we'll unpack that some more. He cleanses the temple twice, as I mentioned in his ministry, right before Passover, which is interesting. So let me unpack that for just a moment. And this is, this is why it's so essential that we dig in and that we're seekers and that we are students of the word and, and we get deep and we ask questions and we, and we dig into the Old Testament to understand these principles. So what's the premise of Passover, right? You know, here they are in slavery in Egypt, 400 years under the oppression of Pharaoh and God hears the cries, the misery of his people, sends Moses as an instrument of deliverance and at the 10th plague, because, you know, Pharaoh hardened his heart, the first five plagues, and God finished the deal. And here we are at the 10th plague, and he's told, like, there's an angel of death coming. And what you need to do is you need to, you, on Nisan 10, which this is the first month of the Jewish calendar that God establishes. And he says, you need to take a lamb and you need to keep it for four days. But on Nisan 14, on the 14th day, you are to slaughter the lamb uh, at twilight. And you are, with a hyssop branch, you are to, 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 to paint his, its blood over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over. Uh, all those that were obedient experienced God's deliverance because the blood of the lamb kind of preserved them from, from death. Um, and, uh, and then what would follow is this, this uh, feast of unleavened bread because they didn't have time. It was done in haste. They were to move uh, on the other side of plundering Egypt. They were to move into the Sinai for a three-day journey to Mount Sinai where they would worship. And, uh, and so they didn't have time to, to leaven the bread, right? And so what, what, would, what has happened since then and what God prescribed for the nation was in, in, in doing this each year so that your children never forget, you know, God's faithful deliverance um, 
you are to make sure there's no leaven in the house. You are to rid the house of leaven uh, in preparation for this festival, this feast. And it's something that they do today. There's rabbis that are dedicated to this very purpose, right? And so think about it. What does leaven represent in the Bible in 95, 8% of the time? Sin, right? It's the leaven of the Pharisees, right? It's, you know, do not, sh- and, and what, what, what are they told to do but, but get the sin out of the house? Do you see it? What is Jesus doing? He's getting the sin out of the house. He's, 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 he's making sure that the temple is cleansed. The house of God. This, this, this is what we, if we don't dive in, we don't see these beautiful principles that, that Jesus is bringing to uh, fruition like in the, in the most profound way. Like this is the culmination of all this that, that God was doing in the past is meant to really highlight and bring to uh, understanding Jesus' purpose and ministry and heart and intention. But Jesus is cleansing the temple, the house of God. The very thing that he was asking them to do in, in preparation for this feast. That's what he's doing, right? And so we have to see that, 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 that incredible, and in both cases, Jesus does it at this very moment that all of the nation of Israel are doing the exact same thing. And be, the chances are they didn't even see it. They didn't understand his heart and tension here. How had they made it, speaking of the temple, a den of robbers? And why would he use that specific terminology? I want to tell you that especially the priests, the the scribes for sure, the moment he said den of robbers, Jeremiah 7 just came to mind. They would have been like, now whether they allowed that to move them to a different posture and obedience and to change their, their, their ways, we, we don't get that sense at all. And, and here's the challenge for us, because I'm going to read this Jeremiah passage here in a minute that, that should have come to, to bear upon this moment, because Jesus was, was clearly pointing to this passage, is how many times, please hear me, how many times does God's word bring conviction to a moment where you have been walking in something that isn't pleasing to the Lord. And in that moment, there is the, the opportunity for powerful change with the power of the Holy Spirit to see it to fruition, or I'm going to fight for my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to do what I want to do. I'm going to rather than let Jesus cleanse the temple. Do you see what I'm saying? This is, so, this, this, this is so practical for us today. And as we move through this, you're going to see that, that like I'm going to read a passage here shortly, that, that, you know, what did Jesus consider the temple? Tear down the temple and in three days I will rebuild it. What? 46 years it took to build this. What are you talking about, Jesus? And they understood later that he was talking about his body. And he said, tear down this body 
And what does he say? And I will rebuild, right, the body. You, the body of Christ. This is the temple, right? This is what he, this is what he's pointing to, wanting to cleanse. I hope this is starting to click, right? Like, and, and, and all of this had much bigger implications than a building, right? I mean, it seemed ludicrous to, to David even, like, who can build a house for God, right? Like, who could, what, what house could contain him? And, and yet God had this glorious ambition and realized it on, on, in his own loving sacrifice to bring his presence into us, the, make us the temple. Now, in order for that to be, to be reality and truth, that is, that is fact today, he has to cleanse us. He has to purify us. To, to what degree? Right? To what degree? To perfection. I think sometimes, as Rob mentioned, like, I think we sell the cross short in, in all that it's accomplished. Like, I mean, what does it mean to be whiter than snow? I mean, he has washed us, you know, and, and now as, I mean, I know I'm kind of jumping around, but like, like what I want us to understand is, is like, like, do you see that Jesus is zealous for the cleansing of the temple? Do you see what he's truly passionate about here? Is what he's about to do, arguably this is what, Monday? What he's about to do come Thursday, Friday, Sunday morning, right? Like he's going to liberate the captives. He's going to wash. He's going to cleanse the temple so that the spirit of God could dwell not just in Zion, not just in Mount Moriah, not just in Jerusalem, but in nations, in people. This was the ultimate objective. So how had they made it a den of robbers? Okay, so this, this is another piece that you have to dig into to find. And when you do, you're like, oh my goodness. And, and before we get critical of them, we can be guilty too. Okay, so in order for people to come and worship and be required to bring sacrifices to the temple in these intervals of, fe- of feasts, um, they would have to either bring sacrificial lambs, doves, oxen, bull, right? Or they would have to bring resources in, in order to purchase those things. But listen to what the priest did. So instead of them bringing Roman currency into the temple, which was no way, they developed temple currency, Right? There's temple currency, and in order for you to purchase these things that are, by the way, in the court of the Gentiles, right, in the temple, like, it's like having a big, giant, like, you know, like, you, you got to buy all this stuff in order to come into the church and to have the resources to worship God, right? And you got to get through that first, and, and here's the thing, in order to get temple currency, there was an exchange rate, you had to bring your Roman currency in, right? And there was an 8% charge in order to get temple currency, 
Can you imagine? They're charging people, right, in order to worship. Ever heard about that happening? Right? And then on top of that, the, the, the folks that suffered the most were the poor, right? Those that, that would bring kind of an offering that maybe wasn't up to par in their, by, their, by their standards and, and God's standards. And, and so what they would do is they, they created a standard of, of you know, that, that only their sacrifice official animals were, were worthy enough. So you had to buy theirs. And now you have to come in and, and pay their rate and their price to worship, to offer sacrifice and thanksgiving and, and to atone for sin. You got to pay. And what does Jesus do in the face of all this? He comes and pays the price. He becomes and, and becomes the, the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then he says this, Right? And it just flies. So can you, can you imagine now? Now, I'm going to even make it worse than all that. I mean, are you, are you a little bothered by this yet? Okay? It gets worse. So the court that they're in is called the court of Gentiles. Because this is where the Gentiles or the nations, right, are supposed to be able to come and, and participate as those that are being drawn into worshiping the God of gods right? And, uh, and instead of being a place of evangelism, it's this bizarre bazaar. It's this marketplace of thievery. It's a den of thieves or robbers. Do you see it? Do you start to share while, why Jesus is, getting, is upset about this? And what's crazy to me is three years earlier, based on the context we're in right now, Three years earlier, he's already done this in a more distinct, I mean, chords and wit. I mean, he turned over the money changers and, and made this distinct expression and, 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 uh, and observation three years ago, and they're right back at it. Right back at it. Now, as we get to the, to the really the application and the conclusion of really the bigger picture of this, you know, we have to start asking ourselves, like, what's going on in my courts? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in the temple of my body? And did, did Jesus' did Jesus's cross purify the believer? Right? Did, did, did he cleanse the temple? Right? And so, like, and don't we see that he is He's pretty, he's pretty upset about what they've done, right, to the temple. And d doesn't it make us understand the heart of God and his passion for the purity of our life? And how often we see in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, in Paul's letters, like, don't go back to a yoke of slavery. Don't, you know, all of the sins, you know, he who sins sexually sins against his own body. He, you know, like, like these he calls us over and over again to purity and to guard the, the gift that's been given to us. We've been washed. We've been cleaned beyond our imagination like to, to perfection. And, 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 and God is passionate about our purity. 
and wants us, as we sang in a song just a moment ago, he wants us to share that passion and, and understand that, that it's, 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 we're not breaking a law, we're breaking a heart. When we, when we choose, we're, we're destroying ourselves. We're missing the mark, right? And we're polluting the, the purity of what's been purchased. And, uh, and that, that just, that, that seems to upset God, <laughs> right? And, and shouldn't that in itself be a motivation to share his heart for purity? Let's continue just to unpack this. So I mentioned that they were in the court of Gentiles. How sad is that? That they had turned what was meant to be a, a place of evangelism, a place that's, in fact, it's light to the nations. So it's, this is where they're supposed to shine, right? And instead of shining, their, their, their motivation is profit, is, is selfish ambition. Sad, right? Super But guys, can, can our hearts wander into these occasions as well and, and miss the, the, the royal objective of God to sanctify the saints so that we might shine and be this instrument of evangelism to the nations? What does this world need? Jesus, and who's equipped to show it to them? The church, right? And it's the, the, the work of the cross that has cleansed our temple that has had this passionate pursuit of purity in our life in order to, to, to have a place where God's spirit can reside and, and have the fruit of, of the spirit demonstrated through our lives and we can quench that by, by having marketplaces in our courts, if you know what I mean. And so... They were using this sacred area as a marketplace for profit. How are you stewarding the temple that it says we have been bought with a price? You are not your own. Did you pick up in the text where Jesus says, my house? My house? Do you know that this is the truth? If, if you're his... This is his house. This is his house. And a lot of times we don't, that we don't operate in that. Do you know you could have the, the greatest ambition for health and wellness and, and all those other things, but there would be no greater objective than to, than to honor God with your bodies and to steward your bodies in a, in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. Because he purified this temple so that his powerful presence could reside in you and do the glorious things, not just through you, but in you. And when, do, do, we, do we have potential to set up marketplaces and things for self-promotion and profitability and things that, that you know, promote our kingdom instead of his do you see what i'm saying and this and this is to our own demise this is in contrast to what the cross came to accomplish they were using this sacred area as a marketplace for profit and and don't miss this instead of praying for the people the priests were praying on the people 
Um, so here's where we can be relatable to this. You know, I, th I think a lot of times we, I, people treat each other better when they're in, in this building. They, their, their language seems to be a little cleaner. You know, their attitude seems to be a little better. Their perspective seems to be a little clearer, you know. Um, and, and yet on our drive home, we can, you know, we could be upset and angry and frustrated and use language that we wouldn't use here. And, and it, ought not, it ought not be, right? Like, like the, the truth is, is that what they were doing is they were, they were shrouding their sin in religiousness. Do you see it? Right? They, they, we're, the, we're helping these people worship. Really? You know, we got to be careful. Our, our, our sinful nature can justify and rationalize anything. We have to let the Holy Spirit bring conviction, which is a gift to us. And we have to say, not my way, but yours. Because God, God's standard is... And, and trust me, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God to get this, 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 this sanctifying purity done in us. And, uh, and he is, he's like, don't you see that in Jesus clearing the temple that he's fully committed to this mission? And what I want to say to you is, take this personally, like the temple, the body is, is the temple's the body, but it's also you. And he is fully committed to your purity. He's going to finish what he started. And one of the thoughts that I've had this week on this principle is that, like, it's challenging to me, is that, okay, so um, the Pharisees, it said that in response to this, what did they want to do? They wanted to destroy him. I, I don't, that, that's destroy him. Like, God shows up, brings light into their darkness, and because they're so ashamed of their sin, they, rather than re repent and confess and turn, they're, they're going to they're gonna be, they're, they're going to want to put out the light. And here, here's, here's the practical challenge. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction, like when, when God's like, like righteous zeal for the cleansing of your temple comes at one of the things in your life that he says, this, this isn't who you, you're meant to be. This isn't meant to be a part of your life. This isn't who you are. This, this, this darkens your evangelism. You know, like this, this, isn't who I, this isn't the purity that I've purchased for you. How do you respond to that? Is, is there a fight? Do you, do you want to do you do, do turn off the Holy Spirit? I mean, I got to get that out of my head. Or, or is it, do you understand that this is God's heart to bring purity and a greater expression of his presence in and through your life? And, and, and he wants these things out. And, and here's the problem. Here's the, I want to bottom line. This is so important. Don't miss this. Like, and then what happens is we're, we're living as a Christian in conflict with the Holy Spirit. Rather, that, rather than in, in complete harmony and submission and surrender, knowing that his ways are so much better, but it's going to mean that I've got to leave things behind. I, I, I can't continue 
to to live like this. I can't and and it's and it's a it's a progressive sanctification. What I mean is what you might have thought was not so bad a year ago, all of a sudden you just you just know it's not for you anymore. And let me just caution us in this place. Just because God has you in a place where this isn't for you, that doesn't mean you need to run around and tell everybody else it's not for them either. Okay, let just be faithful to what God is calling you out of and that will be an example in and of itself. But, but here, are, are you committed to, to Christ cleansing your temple? And do you know that he's, he's passionate about it? And, and he's already done it? He just wants, he just wants the fruition of it to be, to be reality for you because the, the, the outcome is glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. And your life will have that. That will be the outcome of your life. And so hopefully as we're going through this, you're starting to even like change your perception of what's happening in these temple moments where Jesus is clearing out the the court of the Gentiles. Like you start to see it as an act of love instead of anger or hatred, which we know it's not hatred. And we have to reconcile it as a, as a righteous act. And can you see it? It's a picture of what he's doing and going to do and will do. And, and you know, we're told in, in Hebrews 13.8, what, what does Hebrews 13.8 say? Anybody know? I'll start it, you finish it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if that was his heart then, do you think it's changed? I don't think so. And do you think that he has even a greater objective to clean your heart and life than he does a building? So I want to kind of give you the backdrop and what he, because keep in mind that the New Testament wasn't present. They didn't have the New Testament, especially at this moment, right? Everything was so, you know, when Jesus says den of robbers and he talks about that, my house should be like, do you realize that what God wants is, if I haven't already said this and you'll probably hear it again if I have, is that he wants this to be a house of prayer. This, this is what Jesus wants. He wants this to be a house of prayer. Right? So I'm going to read for you the two prophetic statements from one from Isaiah, one from Jeremiah that were that Jesus was acting upon and and referring to. So in Isaiah six or fifty six verses six and seven, listen to what it says. And the foreigners, I underlined. You should underline that in your Bible if you if you haven't already. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, Gentiles, nations, to minister to Him to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these, don't miss this, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Now listen, this is what it says. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Your, your translation might say nations there. And it's translated in the Greek, Gentiles. 
That's what's translated. And can you see why Jesus was so, like this is supposed to be a place where the Gentiles can come and pray and commune with the living God and instead what's happening? Well, Jeremiah helps us to know what's happening. This is what he says in Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go, out, go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in, my, in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered? You know, it's that, it's that mentality that was back in the, in the Middle Ages, you know, like sanctuary. You know, uh, we kind of see it in the, uh, in the hunchback of Notre Dame. Like if, or, you know, like if, if, if you've done something wrong, run to the, run to the church and you're, you'll be protected there, um, whether you're guilty or not. You know, like, but it's meant to be kind of, ideally it's supposed to be the, the sanctuaries that God established in the nation of Israel where people would go to if they had accidentally done something, not done something on purpose and there would be protection. But, but then listen what he goes on to say. He says, then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered only to go on doing the, all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers? In your eyes, behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Guys, like when we sin, should we run to the cross? Should we run to like the church and and the mode of of confession and repentance? Yes, right. But but then should we go back out and just continue in that in those those ways that were. That we is that true repentance? Is that true confession? And and that there would be this kind of pattern there of this this this. He's saying it's it's a lie. It's a it's it's thievery. It's robbery. And when Jesus said these words to the to the leaders, they should have, this should have clicked for them. But no, they wanted to destroy him. Listen how Mark kind of sets this moment. This is from the Gospel of Mark. And I just pick up in verse 15 to 18, it says, and they came to Jerusalem, speaking of the disciples, those on the other side of the, the triumphal entry and, uh, and overnighted in Bethany and now back in Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the temples of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Why? Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. I want to take us back um, to the first time Jesus cleared the temple which is given to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. And again, this is at the very beginning of his ministry, months in, first Passover. Jesus had months, a Passover. After three Passovers, we see this is where Jesus gives his life. And this in chapter 2, listen to what it says here uh, at the first cleansing of the temple. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things. Now, if you want to read the full context, start in verse 12. 
and it's worth doing for sure. But he says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? I mean, we have such insight to that, to what he's saying here, right? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Guys, like, here, here's what we have to understand. When Jesus said this, what he was saying was, tear down this temple. He, I mean, obviously he's not talking about the building. He's talking about him. And, but my question is, what body is he going to rebuild? Because that body was destroyed, right? He, he was given a new body, sown and we, raised in power. Like, like but... The body, as I mentioned earlier, is us, right? Tear down this temple and I will rebuild it. Like, what did he build? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, right? That's what he, and, he's, and he continues through his spirit to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail, right? And that's what he's doing. And you are the temple, right? And... And we see that as we move forward here in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it tells us clearly, it says, do you not know? Paul says this all the time. This is something you need to know. That you, and the word you here is plural. It means the church, but it's also talking, it's this beautiful kind of mix of you and us. Like, do you not know that you are, you are, God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Do you not know that on the other side of the resurrection, the temple was irrelevant because the lamb of God had been sacrificed and the curtain had been torn from heaven to earth. The temple, the temple had been wrecked, right? And the, and the curtain had been rent. And, and, and here we are now, it, it, he, had, he, he rebuilt the temple, us, and we are, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit which dwells in you? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, six three chapters later, it says this in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. There's the challenge is that we would glorify God with the temple. Do you not know that God's spirit dwells in you? That you've been washed clean so that God's spirit could have his, his, his full, like intimate like presence in you to, to make himself known through you? That he might receive glory and honor and praise, right? And others might come to know and that the nations, the Gentiles would... I mean, it's all there. So here's some thoughts. We are the dwelling place of God's presence. We're the temple. We are the body of Christ, right? We're told that in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, like we're the body of Christ, each unique in all of our membership. Jesus came to cleanse that temple and that's exactly what he did. The presence of God's spirit seeks to maintain holiness, in us, purity in us. Can I ask you this morning, what is at war uh, 
in your life for purity. Could, can you forsake that today? Can you, can you join with the Holy Spirit's glorious objective in your life and turn your back on the impurities of your life? He, he speaks in this chapter 6 passage and he says, you know, about sexual immorality. He says, all other sins are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own temple body. And that's not just, as I just mentioned before, it's both, it's both me and us. It's both you and us. That when we sin sexually, we don't sin in a vacuum. It affects the whole body. And we know that. Like we, We've seen when our sin has... It does. It has devastating impacts because we're a body. We're yoked together. And, and what does it do? It ultimately grieves God. And it, it puts him in a posture of he wants this out. Do you know that there might be some things in your life that God wants out? Is that possible? I think it's not possible. It's, it's probable. It's, there are things that are in our lives that the holiness of God desires to set us free from. And for some ridiculous reason, we're holding on to these things, thinking that they give us some sense of value or importance or identity. And they don't. They're, they're, they're killing the potential, right? And, and you're at odds and you know it. You know it. There are some of you sitting here today, you know that it needs to go. And look, it's, there's power to see it to, to finished, okay? Let me just promise you that when you join God in, in, in purifying your life and your temple, like it's going to, <laughs> there's supernatural power. He just, like well, there should be a partnership with the Holy Spirit for purity in our life. Doesn't that make sense? Like there's a partnership with us for purity in our life and, and the things that, that, you know, the sin that so easily entangles and trips us up in our race that's marked out for us. And God is so good to reveal those things to us. But do you think that his simple purpose is just to say, well, I, you know, I, I just want you to be aware of this. I mean, no big deal, you know, just want you to be aware. That is not it at all. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to get rid of together. And, and look, I don't care how rooted, foothold, established it is in your life, dark, hidden, like God has the power to set you free. He has a passion for purity in your life. And this is God. He can get it done. Did anybody get in the way of Jesus clearing the temple? The first time? Look, he did it again. Nobody got in his way. He said they were afraid of him. I mean, they, right? Like, it, this is my point in saying that. Like, nothing will get in the way of God achieving purity in your life but you. We can resist. That, that, that is the saddest thing. in the. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can resist the Spirit. Why would we do that? Well, we have a list of answers that are not good, right? 
The presence of God's Spirit seeks to maintain holiness. And I use the word maintain because the cross accomplished it. It's done. It's finished. Like, he purified the temple. You. He cast the sin as far as the east is from the west. You've been, otherwise, how could the Spirit come and dwell and make his home? Jesus is zealous for the purity of our temple. He's zealous for this. Should we not share the zealousness of God? Should we not share the passion of God? Especially when it comes to to what he's doing in our lives. The temple is to be a house of prayer. Listen, I I don't think, I think Jesus was clear on this. I think we're meant to, to understand that this temple is meant to be a house of prayer. I think we're meant to understand that. And that, that every facet of our life should be marked by prayer. God calls believers to guard the purity of the temple. Right? And let me, say, let me tell you why I said the temple there rather than your temple. Or, it's because we have that role in each other's life. That's important. That, that we, should, we should guard the, the purity of the temple. Because it's, it's all his. And so if we got a brother and sister that we know is not walking in purity, then prayerful first, but in love, we need to come to that brother and sister and say, this isn't for you. God's got better plans for you. And I love you, I love you enough to tell you because the implications are, are, are far greater than the pleasure that you're receiving from this. We are the house of God, his abiding presence on earth. Do you, do you realize, I mean, let's, Let's kind of change our thinking here. The, the temple and tabernacle concept, like that's no longer in place. God's spirit is in the church and you're the church. Like so often we want to make this, this building like, oh, we're in the church. You can't say that. We're in the church. Like I'm all about that. That's good. But that, please understand, I can't say that because I am the church. Right? There should be a guard on my mouth. There should, you know, like, uh, because, like, that's, that's not what purity, that's not what holiness does. Like, like and look, we're going to fall short. Like, please understand. But, but that means that we race to the cross and then we never go back to, we're not a dog returning to its vomit, as Proverbs says. The Lord's mission and desire is to reside with us and in us. Do you know, what did God do? What did, what did he go through in order to make you pure? To make his presence with you? What did he go through? And when we don't join him in that or we, or we wander into impurities, like what, what are we saying about what Christ did for us? Yikes, right? Jesus made his dwelling among us, Emmanuel. And then he made his dwelling in us. Rather than, be, than beside us, his, his promise was to be inside us. How good is God? <laughs> like he knew that, that the beside us thing wasn't going to get it done. How much, how much did the disciples really get it? Right? But, but he knew that it would take an inner working. He, needed, he said, I promise I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I'll write my word upon it. And no longer will you need to teach one another. I will teach you from the inside out. 
And man, I know he's doing that to you this morning. Listen to this verse in John 14, 23. If you just don't believe what I'm saying this morning is really the implications of this moment, then listen to what it says. John 14, 23, Jesus' words. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And then listen, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. Now talk about God with us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Have you reminded yourself of that today? That's so good. Listen to Ephesians 2, 20 and 20 to 22 says, build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I mean, all of this that God has done to, 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 to lay a foundation for the church in whom the whole structure, talking about the, the temple of God being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Let's talk about the body of Christ. In him, you, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by, his, by the Spirit. So good. And then Peter wanted to get into the conversation in 1 Peter 2, 5. And he says, you also, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And as we finish this this morning, and I'll ask the worship team to come, like, I, I want to read this portion from John 13 because I really think this takes it home for us. And my hope during this time of worship is maybe that you don't even sing, that you make your seat the altar, that you come up here and, and, and you cry out to God to Father, give me the same passion you have for purity in my life. Help me to walk away from these, these impurities. I confess them as sin. I, I confess that it's missing the mark and it's not, it's not what you want and that you're going to give me the power to overcome. But I was reminded as I was finishing up preparation on this that in John 13, in John 13, which is days away, days away Jesus is celebrating the last supper with his with his disciples and you know they all walk through the door and it's custom Every, I mean if you walk through the door of a house either somebody's going to wash your feet or you're going to wash each other's feet I mean feet are going to be washed everybody gets in the room sits down reclines at table nobody's feet are getting washed Jesus is like okay I'll do it and he begins to wash because he he's really speaking into a problem that they have because they all want to be the greatest. They all want to be in charge. They all want to sit at his right and left, right? And they get an argument over this. And Jesus models for them what true greatness, what true, like, you want to be great, be a slave, be a servant. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he, he takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist. He fills a wash basin. And he begins, can you imagine at this stage in the game, he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And I mean, no, I mean, it's, Peter's the only one that's willing to articulate his, I don't want to call it concern, his, his no way. He just says, Lord, there's no way, there is no way that you're washing my feet. Like I... I can't, I can't, I can't permit you to do that, 
right? It's kind of like when John the Baptist is like, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me, you know? So I read the passage and then share my, th- my thought that connects this. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, what, what's the afterwards? After the Holy Spirit gives you full clarity, after I'm resurrected and I pour out my spirit upon you, afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now listen to what Jesus answers him. This is what he says to him. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head, my... And, you know, Jesus says, it's, I'm not, we're not doing a shower here, Peter. Like, that's not the point. Like, but this is what he said. Like, listen to what he says here. He says, unless, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. See, like, we have to, we have, we have to ask Jesus. We have to permit Jesus to cleanse us. We have to invite him into our cleansing. And, you know, the NIV says, unless I, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. See, like, now we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. It's, when Jesus sees you, he says, that's my temple. And he's committed to the purity of his temple. And so, do we understand that? Like, like do, do you want Jesus, what I'm saying in relationship to this moment, do you want Jesus to wash your feet this morning? Do you, do you want Jesus, do you want, do you want, do you want him to, to purify you, your temple? Or do you need to be reminded that he has and that he's faithful to the cause of your purity? He's passionate about it and that you need to share his passion and you need to surrender to this moment and, and let him, again, wash you, right? Because what, he, what he's pointing to here is the cross, that's what he's pointing. I mean, he's pointing to it in the bread. He's pointing it to it in the in the in the, in the cup, and he's pointing it to it in everything. Unless I wash you, do you see? He was cleansing the temple. He cleans. He was cleansing the disciples. He says. He says. Uh, just a just a, a little while after this, he says this. He says, "You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you." And he's talking about the obedience to that. And that the fruition of his promises coming to, to, to actuality in our life. So please make this time a time of prayer. Do whatever the Holy Spirit is compelling you to do. Share God's passion for purity. He loves you. He wants everything for you. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.